When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When people ask me like, ooh, don't you think it's too crowded of a space? It's like, I will never, I will never be mad at writers making money, like ever. (laughs) Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of Creative Elements. Behind the scenes in my business right now, I'm working on a few different creative projects in tandem. Well, one of them was launching this YouTube channel. So check the box. That one is done. But another is a rebrand and evolution of my newsletter. You see, when I think about the things that I'm good at, the things I enjoy, the things other people like that I make and what the world seems to value, you know, that icky guy sort of principle, I think about learning from really impressive creators like I do on the show. But what I'm realizing is that learning doesn't need to stop at this interview. I could actually do more research. I could go deeper on these creators' stories. I could construct a more full-fledged thing for people to learn from, maybe even a profile of different creators. And as I was thinking about doing creator profiles, my mind automatically went to, well, I would love to learn from somebody and talk to somebody on the show who's really good at doing profiles. So that brings us to today's guest, Polina Maranova Pompliano. Since 2017, Polina has been writing The Profile, which profiles the most successful and interesting people in business, entertainment, technology, sports, and more. The profile is ultimately a manifestation of how I learn. Even if I wasn't doing this as a paid newsletter, even if this wasn't my job, I would still read profiles and learn about people because that is how I learn. As you just heard, The Profile is a paid newsletter. Before she was writing The Profile, Polina wrote for Fortune, CNN, USA Today, and more. She has 130,000 followers on Twitter, and she says last year, in the pursuit of writing great profiles, she read more than 1.8 million words online. That's the equivalent of 25 books. Profiles are a rare breed of writing, and Polina is really good at it. She's profiled Sarah Blakely, Elon Musk, Dolly Parton, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kris Jenner, and more. She says that profiles help her to better see and understand history. When I was in high school and college, history was always my hardest subject. Anytime there was like history involved, I was like, oh, I got to memorize because facts and dates and like these, these things that I just like can't remember. But what I learned is I do remember it when that little detail about somebody's life is paired with context about what they went through at that period of time, because in that sense, I create like an emotional response to it, which then creates a memory for me. So instead of talking about the French Revolution, if you pick out certain people like Marie Antoinette and talk, like if I read about her life and what she was going through and how she was treated, I would remember the historical event through that person's eyes. So in this episode, we talk about the difference between profiles and biographies, the economics of a paid newsletter, the best strategies she's found for growing a newsletter, and why the secret to a great profile is found in the details. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. As you listen, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. And if you're here on YouTube, subscribe and leave a comment down below. All right, let's talk to Polina. 
there is this profile writer that I kind of really got into reading profiles through her work. Her name's Katie Weaver. She used to do celebrity profiles for GQ, then moved over to the New York Times. But when she was at GQ, uh, I listened to a podcast that she was on and they asked her, why do you think people enjoy reading profiles so much? And her answer... I was actually thinking about this the other day and I read a while ago that the reason we as humans enjoy slow motion is because it gives your brain enough time to really take in all the detail of what's happening and that's kind of soothing and rewarding to us and I sort of feel like celebrity profiles do the same thing it's like you can really dive deep into a person and look at them from a bunch of different angles and form an opinion about them Therefore, when you're reading a profile, it feels like it slows the person down and your brain can kind of get all this nuance and detail about the person and really enjoy it versus just like a rushed article mm. that doesn't paint a picture. That's really interesting because I do think we, we also care about closing loops, right? It's, it's why mm. TV shows, I've, I, I watch a lot of TV, which I'm not ashamed of. I'm very happy <laughs> Um, Good for you, but Jay. I see a lot of TV series. They'll they have this method of or this this approach for some episodes where they'll start the episode with like this 30 second scene that, you know, has no context yet. But then, you know, through the episode, you see yourself getting closer and closer to what you saw in the first 30 seconds. So your brain is constantly like trying to fill in the gaps. And I think that's true for profiles and biographies, too, because we kind of have this sense for who a person is. But mm -hmm. We don't know what made them that. So I think maybe these profiles are kind of filling these details so we can start to say, oh, I understand the progression, the path, how they did that, yeah. how I might be able to do that too. Absolutely. How do you differentiate profiles versus biographies? The, the way I kind of see journalism is history and motion, right? You are capturing a person in this moment today, and then in the future, that will be how history is written. But journalism is documenting it today right now. And so the reason I love profiles is because it is a snapshot of what this person is going through in this moment today. In five years, it might be a different profile of them. A biography, I, I love biographies. That's pretty much all I read in terms of books. I read nonfiction, mostly memoirs and biographies. But that is kind of like, here's a, a, a compilation of what I observed this person, if you spent time with them or whatever. But a profile is just super deep right now in this moment. And it was really interesting. <laughs> I was emailing with Lawrence. He's the writer of this blog that I love called More to That. And he was like, he described me as the internet's biographer. And I think like that's essentially what exactly awesome. what I aim to do. <laughs> that's an awesome title right? and for it to be given to you by a reader that must have been like so warm and nice amazing <laughs> it was the best day <laughs> so if we're thinking about these profiles as like a snapshot into somebody's life today what makes a great profile what type of bar are you trying to hit to know okay i've gone as far as i need to go for this snapshot of this person today mm-hmm when I was writing the very first profile that I did at Fortune Magazine, I had a really great editor and actually multiple really great editors. One of them told me that basically what separates a great profile from just your average like article is um, the same thing as he called it the your grandmother's like 
tomato sauce of profile writing theory, something like that. Okay. Basically, okay. <laughs> what is <laughs> what is the difference between like store bought tomato sauce and like your grandmother's tomato sauce? Even if they're the same ingredients, even if like everything's the same, the difference is your grandmother's sauce cooks all damn day. And I think that that's kind of like basically when you take all the same elements, all the same ingredients that make a profile a profile, the reason that yours would stand out is because you've sat on it, you've looked at the discrepancies, you've looked at uh, where things don't make sense, uh, the gaps in the story, where there's lack of detail, where you want to add more context to something. And I think in the beginning, when I first started writing profiles, they were incredibly, incredibly generic. So if you think about it realistically, if you take me and somebody who lives in this area and also is in her 30s and also does internet work, it's very hard to be like, this is exactly what makes Paulina Paulina and this person this person. If you keep it generic, we look like the same individual. And I think that the tiny little nuances are what, and the eccentricities, is that a word? Whatever. The, yeah, <laughs> great. All the little ticks and things that I do would differentiate me from you. So I think a really great profiler uh, pays attention to the little quirks. So I talk a lot with my hands, but you wouldn't know that if we never interacted or we just spoke on the phone. Mm. So I can always tell when a person spent a good amount of time with their subject because they pick up on those little things. Do, do they look you in the eye? Do they back channel? Do they nod? Things like that. And you feel like you better understand. It, it paints a picture of the person for you. And also a great profile is the result of really great questions. You can tell when somebody hasn't done their job because you don't, you, you don't have answers to like very, very basic questions and it shows. So I, I think it's about asking great questions and then like shutting up and listening. I've been thinking about this a lot because as you were saying, you know, there's, there's more writers, more creators, more competition all the time. And in my space, <laughs> not not the website MySpace, but in my <laughs> sphere, my world, I'm less interested in swimming in the sea of, let me tell you how to get the first 100 subscribers or newsletter, and more interested in standing out from stories and really digging into the stories of creators that I bring onto the show and write about. Mm -hmm. And what I'm realizing is the people who do that really well seem to get some really great primary research like talking mm -hmm. to their subjects directly with interviews and things. So when you choose a subject for your profiles, how do you start to approach research and how much of that is primary versus secondary? Mm -hmm. I've developed a strategy with the profile where I typically start with secondary research and always aim to get to primary and always try to get to an interview. So when you're building something from scratch, it's really hard to get people to trust you. Why on earth would, you know, uh, Melinda Gates respond to my email from the profile when what's, what's you know, what's the point? There is, she, she gets a million of these things a day. But if you can show like, hey, I already wrote this about you. You can see my work. Let me interview. It's much more powerful than just being like, I worked at Fortune and she'll be like, okay, so did, you know, other people. I've gotten a number of 
the interviews that I've done, the original interviews I've done for the profile that way with Humans of New York creator Brandon Santon, who normally does not give any interviews at the time that I interviewed him. Then also James Clear, like a bunch of these people that I already had something to show and then they agreed to do the profile. But otherwise, what I do is I try to read, listen to and watch everything about this person and everything that they've done. And I really like, I immerse myself into their world in order to better understand like how they see the world. And even people who I thought I would have nothing in common with or that I thought I couldn't learn from, like a Kris Jenner of the Jenner Kardashian empire, I was like, she's just a TV personality. And that's so, so not true. She's very, very strategic and very, very intelligent. The way that I know something's worth including in a profile dossier, which is these deep dives I do on these people is that I I need to hear them say the same idea at least three times. And I'm like, Oh, Mm. that person finds that really important. And you see that in the various interviews they give or how they present themselves or want people to think of them a certain way. So I pay attention to those like tiny little things that you might miss if you're not listening for them. I would love to do more research on everyone I bring on to the show. Yeah. And when I think about, you know, immersing myself, consuming everything they've made or everything about them, like you're saying, there's just not enough time. How, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> it's like the, the question, where do you, where do you find the time to do all of that? <laughs> Especially if some of it is kind of speculative of, well, maybe Brandon from Humans in New York won't give me an interview, but I'm still mm-hmm diving in and studying everything about him. Yeah, no, I I never go into it thinking like, I'm going to do this because, you know, I'm going to get an interview. I do it just because I want to learn something from that person. And and it's so interesting when you look at, I've, I've been doing the dossiers in particular for two years now. When you look at when I have published certain ones, it was what I was thinking about at the time. So for example, right when I left Fortune to do the profile full time, I did a lot of entrepreneurial people uh, because I wanted to learn from them. When COVID was happening, I did a lot of like, how do you make decisions in uncertain times types of people. Another time when I was feeling kind of like, not very creative and I felt a little burnt out. I did some on creativity and like storytellers and people like that. And it always energized me the way I find time to do all of this. Cause it is a lot of content is that I kind of pair things. So for example, when I go on my daily walk, I'm probably listening to a podcast about that person. But before I started writing the profile dossier, I created a bank of them. So I always had like eight. (laughs) I always had eight in the bank. So I was never in a rush to be like, I only have three days to write this dossier. So I could take my time studying the person before I published it. So it was never like a, we got to get this out this week. I'm just going to do a cursory. Like for example, her name is Lindsay Adario and she's a war photographer. I mean, that was so great. I literally bought the memoir that she uh, she wrote because I'm that interested in her story. And so when you immerse yourself like that, it makes it enjoyable to write and also learn from the person. And she's a good example of someone who I was like, hey, I just wrote this. I hope you like it. I would love to interview you. I think the readers would also you know, benefit from your perspective. She said yes. So 
hopefully uh, we'll set that interview up soon. I love this approach because as I've been thinking about doing profiles, I hadn't thought about going down the route. Like what if she would have said no? Would you have still published something from the the secondary research that you did across all these sources? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. It's just yeah. like I pull everything that I learned because I think it'll be beneficial to the readers as well. Yeah. So that's that's a really good reduced risk approach to putting this stuff out because it's like, well, I'm going to publish something anyway, and I've done the mm -hmm. work to do all this research to make it awesome. So it's going to be great, even if it is just secondary research. And now I can show that to the, the subject and maybe get some primary research on top of that. Do you notice a difference in how readers respond to the, the profiles that have some primary material versus not? Absolutely. I, um, I think that they always appreciate when you've done the extra work to interview the subject, right? For example, Dandy Meyer. Dandy Meyer, I published his dossier, just secondary research, and it was forwarded to him by someone that knew him. And he emailed me and then uh, DM'd me on Twitter and said, this was really great. And that's such a huge compliment because as you know, you know yourself best when somebody hasn't even talked to you and are able to capture some of the lessons and like the things that you've been through in a, in a great way, then you're way more a impressed because you don't even know this person and be incentivized to talk to them because you already know that they get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's a fear that I have. Does anyone ever reach out to you to set the record straight and they're upset about something that you included? No, not for the profile, but it, it, it does happen. After a quick break, Polina and I talk about the nitty gritty of running a paid newsletter, advertising, and more. And later we talk about how she attracts new subscribers. So stick around and we'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash J. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash J and let them know that I sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. 
It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another, which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash creator. Welcome back to my conversation with Polina Pompliano. Now that we've gotten to know Polina a little bit better, I want to dive deeper into the profile because we haven't really talked about paid newsletters all that much on the show. So I started by asking her, what is the difference between what a free subscriber of the profile receives and a paid subscriber? As a free member, you always, always, always get the core of what it is, which is seven to eight long form profiles that came out that week about really interesting people and companies. So when I started the profile in 2017, that was the premise and that's still the premise. The only thing I've added is a paid layer, which allows you to get like two extra sections in the weekly newsletter. In addition to the long form profiles, you also get several podcasts or video suggestions that I really enjoyed that I've watched or listened to that week. And then also you get a Wednesday edition of the profile dossier that we've been talking about on an individual person um, that you can learn from. Are you comfortable sharing any of the metrics behind the size of this, the, the newsletter overall or number of paid subscribers? So I haven't uh, shared it publicly, but I can say that the total list is in the high tens of thousands, and then the paid list is in the thousands. I think I heard you say on another interview that it was converting at about 4% from free to paid. Yeah. Has that held yeah, strong? Yeah. Yes, it was actually, it was, it was very, um, people were converting much more, uh, during the beginning of the pandemic lockdowns because mm. I think they had a lot of extra time and they were looking for ways to maybe learn something new. Now it's not as, you know, fast of a trajectory, but people are still that my primary revenue stream is still paid subscriptions. What I love about the paid newsletter model is that it's just so measurable. Like you can mm -hmm. see how many free subscribers, what the conversion rate is to paid, how long they tend to stick around. And it makes it a pretty approachable math problem to think about mm -hmm. even acquisition. When you think about your business as a whole, I know you've also explored things like uh, advertising. I think you said you did some licensing deals and freelance writing. What's the, the whole of the model of the profile today? Is it still mostly paid subscription based? Yes, it's mostly paid subscription. And then the next bucket is probably sponsorships. I'm really selective about the, the things that I allow <laughs> to sponsor on the profile because it has to be something that I myself would 
vouch for or have used. So for example, I've done things with uh, Morning Brew. I've done things with Business Insider. I've done things with a venture capital firm whose content I really enjoy. So it's, it's always like 1440, a newsletter. It's always things that I have an interest in, uh, but I will decline a lot of things that just don't make sense. I've just started dipping my toes into advertising now, and it feels like kind of a double-edged sword because one of the things that I love about writing is I can write about what I want, when I want, and then you start selling advertising slots, and now you're accountable to advertisers because they've purchased a slot that week, and if you don't want to write something, well, too bad, you kind of have to. Do you sell out your inventory for advertising, or is it kind of a as it comes in, I consider it, and if it's a good fit, I put it in there? Yeah, I've gotten a little more serious about it um, in the last few months just because it's just another um, revenue stream. But I never promise that I will deliver a certain number of impressions or a certain number of signups or whatever the ask may be. I'm just like, hey, like this is this is my newsletter. This is what you can do this is what it's going to look like, but I cannot guarantee a certain number of things. So that way I kind of take the pressure off of myself of, oh my gosh, like really got to drive people here this week. I don't do that. It's always, it's always in its own Island. And I never, there's a separation in my mind because I spent so long at media organizations. It's like church and state advertising and editorial don't speak. So I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to write about this because I have a sponsor here. Do you position the sponsor content in front of paid subscribers as well? No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would approach that because <laughs> is that is that like a, a selling point to paid subscribers too to say that is ad free? So I haven't said that, but I just as a reader of other things, if I'm paying for something, I don't want to see advertising on it. I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't have a problem, but that's how I would feel. That's how I feel about Hulu. What is Hulu doing? I'm paying for Hulu. <laughs> that's hilarious, yeah. I don't get the same toilet paper ad or Huggies <laughs> ad. They must really think I have a kid. I get so many Huggies ads on Hulu. So it's like, funny. stop this madness. So you've been doing this paid newsletter now since March of 2020. Super interesting time to launch that, by the way. Also the same time mm -hmm. I launched this show. For somebody who's thinking about making their newsletter paid or launching a paid newsletter. What have you learned about what it takes to make that model work? What should people be thinking about if they're looking to approach that for their business? The profile, everybody forgets that the profile was free for three years before I ever said, you know, I'm going to add a paid layer to this. So I started in February of 2017. And that newsletter, I published every single week for three years. And in March of 2020, actually it was January of 2020 when I started testing the paid layer. So almost exactly three years, I said, Hey, like you can support me with this, you know, uh, I'm adding a paid layer. It's additive. You're still going to get what you've gotten for the last three years. You know, if you want to support me. And what I found is that I always talk about like consistency and how consistency plus time is what equals trust. So if you're consistent over a long period of time, you earn people's trust. And that's the most important thing before any dollar you make, because they know that you're not just going to run off with their money. And I've mentioned this before, but anytime a new newsletter writer 
asks me like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a newsletter. What should I do? I'm like, don't start it if you're not going to commit. <laughs> don't start it if you're not going to commit to being consistent on whatever cadence you choose, whether it's every month, um, every week or every day. You might want to start with like a slower cadence. So like once every month instead of starting every day and then failing immediately, because I know at Fortune, I wrote a newsletter every single morning that had to go out. And on weekends, I published the profile once a day on Sunday. So that means that I was on two different cadences, but I never, I, I didn't miss, right? Because you can't. And I was very serious about that. So when I asked people to back the profile with their dollars, they knew that I was serious and that I was committed. And I knew that I wouldn't miss a week uh, because to me, like once people start paying you, it's a whole different level of responsibility that you have to put out a newsletter. Even there is no like, oh, I don't feel like it this week. Like, no, you people are paying you for this. And I take that very seriously. Even if you're publishing a free newsletter, it's, you know, and I'm a new subscriber, and then I sign up and you're like, hey, I'm going to take three weeks off and go on vacation. Well, now I just signed up and I'm not going to get it for three weeks. And then I just like completely forget when you come back and I'm like, what is this? It's just you want to create a margin of safety for yourself so that when you do take that vacation, you have some content you can send in order to keep the consistency going. And like you said, Jay, like when you're figuring out how do I make money, it's a math problem. You can look at what your growth rate is, how many people you have on your list, and the time that you need to reach your goal. So when I was leaving Fortune, I backed into it. I was like, to me, success means matching my salary at Fortune. How do I do, I do that given my current uh, trajectory of growth? And I did the math. And so I was like, I think I can do this in six months, basically. I ended up doing it faster because suddenly the profile was my only like focus. And of course, you're going to make more decisions that help you grow faster. But you just always want to look at look at it as from a more conservative approach. Like even if I keep growing at this current or slower rate, what how many paying members do I need in order to hit my goal? And then you back into it. When you're thinking about growth in terms of uh, revenue growth for the newsletter, mm -hmm. where do you focus? Are you focused on new subscribers? Are you focused on conversion more? What lever do you try to pull? Honestly, like to me, the most telling factor of whether people enjoy the content is retention. So now I have two years of uh, data to see like how many people have renewed. Do they renew on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis, how many uh, drop off? So my retention rate is really, really, really high. And I take great pride in that because it means that people saw that email like, hey, you can unsubscribe, it, you're coming up for payment, and they chose to renew. And also what I take into account is I go on Substack and I look at the comments that people give me when they unsubscribe. And it's really, really helpful. And it's actually informed a lot of the decisions that I've made with the profile and changes that I've made because it's like, you are leaving because of X. If I hear that more than three times, then maybe I should make a change. I know you offer both uh, monthly and annual plans and even let mm -hmm. people add on top of that if they want. What have you learned about how people choose to 
invest? Like, are you are you surprised at the number of annual versus monthly, or did it basically track on your expectations? When I started testing it in January of 2020, I set the price really high, even though people were telling me to not do it that high. So I started for an annual subscription. I was like, it's going to be a hundred dollars and then $10 a month. And I got a good group of people who paid the hundred dollars. They were the most loyal members of the profile, the people who had been there since like day one, they were willing to pay a hundred dollars, but the overwhelming feedback that I got was I'm not going to sign up for a hundred dollars a year, but if you dropped it to 50, I would. So I tried this for a month, I believe it was. And then I dropped it to 50 and it was like an avalanche of new subscribers Hmm. because the market essentially tells you what it wants, right? If a hundred is not working, let's try like a 50% off. And then people really, um, really joined. And I think that it's like a psychological thing. And also if you are looking to grow the business beyond just the the tiny, really, really loyal following, then it would make sense to experiment with different price points and just like see what works best. So it's $10 per month or $50 per year now, correct? Yes. Man, big discount to join for the year. So I I mean, I like that. I like that because it really encourages you to say like, hey, I'm really putting my neck out there and giving you a great price here. If you commit to trying this for basically more than five months. I like that strategy. Pricing in this stuff is so hard. Pricing is hard hard. in general. You just have to like listen to the feedback very, very closely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what, when you, when you think about uh, just driving new subscribers, what Mm -hmm. do you see as your best method of bringing in new free subscribers to the profile to try it out for the first time? The best method that I found I've had success with is doing newsletter swaps. So I've done one with The Hustle, 1440, and Morning Brew. And all three, basically what we do is um, they run a little ad for the profile in their newsletter. And I explain why I enjoyed their newsletters and mine, because we have complementary audiences that maybe haven't overlapped yet. So it's a way to be like, Hey, if you enjoy morning brew, you're probably going to enjoy the profile and vice versa. All of them have been really successful. And that's just like a great way to, um, get new eyeballs on your, uh, whatever you're working on. And the other way that I really enjoy, uh, that haven't done in a while actually, but I accidentally stumbled upon it was one day I tweeted like, let's play a game, like give me a topic or an idea that you want to learn more about. And I'll share a profile that kind of matches that. And you can Mm -hmm. learn from the reason that was so successful is not only does it get you out of your own network on Twitter into other people's networks, but also it shows like that you have expertise in the domain that you're, you know, specializing in. So for me, it's like, I've read these thousands of profiles. Like I'm confident that I can share a really, really great one. And it also proves to people that you actually do this, right? (laughs) That they can tell if you're bullshitting. So when I did that, people would like say super random things. And I was able to provide a profile for it. And, um, I think somebody said, if this thread went behind a paywall, like I would pay a hefty price to access it. And that's exactly like what you want, how you want people to feel about your content. It's, it's not enough to just be like interesting. You also have to be helpful. And I, I think I save people time and learning by curating this stuff for them and then, um, providing, providing it to them every week. 
Let's talk about those cross promos a little bit more. I've done some of these in the past to varying mm-hmm. degrees of success. When you do a cross promotion, how much of that newsletter that goes out from the partner or from you needs to be focused on that cross promotion versus their own editorial content? Like, is it a block in that email or is it almost the entirety of that email? No, no, no. It's almost, oh, I've never done the entirety of the email. It's always a block. So for example, I recently wrote about more to that. Uh, it's, it's the blog that I really like, but I wrote about it because I genuinely like, there was a piece that I really enjoyed and I wanted to tell my readers about it. It wasn't anything to do with like, this is going to be the cross promotion, but I'm sure it drove people his way, but I have no problem doing that because I wanted to share his work for like strictly cross promotions. It's typically a block of text and it it's just enough to introduce the newsletter or the person to your audience. Yeah. Cause I've seen, there are some other writers like Josh Spector comes to mind mm. and he's been moving the needle for a lot of people recently. And what he does that's working right now is basically the whole email is very short, but dedicated to whatever he's cross promoting. So there's yeah. like nothing else to do if you're going to take any action on that email, except do that thing. So I'm sure it would be more effective to be like a full newsletter takeover, but that's also a big ask of these partners or collaborators because they could be selling inventory. They could be building affinity with their audience for, the, for their own content and things. Yeah. You have to know that like the type of newsletter, like morning brew 1440 or the hustle, they would never do that because that's not their format. So I would never even like consider to ask for an entire takeover. But if it is a newsletter that specializes and that's what they do, then absolutely logical ask. When we come back, Polina and I talk more about the conversion of free subscribers to paid subscribers and how she chooses who to profile right after this. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com science. That's podcastmovement.com science. Hey, welcome back. I wanted to keep exploring the numbers and data behind this business. So I asked Polina how long it typically takes for a free subscriber to convert into a paid subscriber. It's very rare that a person 
signs up for the profile and immediately becomes a paid member. Usually they need a little bit of, uh, they want to see your work and they want to be able to be like, oh, this is high quality. Like I want more. And so when you sign up, I send an email automatically that says like, hey, here's what a premium subscription would get you. And another element of it is we have a Telegram channel where uh, the premium members go. And then sometimes I'll invite like a speaker and they'll do an AMA for an hour. Um, and that's been really interesting. I do that. I also, um, every once in a while, I'll send an email. Just it, it's almost kind of like a like a quarterly update. Like, here's what I've been up to. Here's what we've published. Here's what I have coming up. If you want to join you can do so here. And I do the math and I'm like, you know, a subscription comes out to less than 50 cents a day or something like that, where it's like, it becomes a no brainer if you really, really value high quality content. And I've talked about this idea of improving your content diet, where, you know, we're also health conscious in terms of what we put into our body uh, food wise. Why don't we do that with our brains, basically. What what are you feeding your brain and what are you ingesting on a daily basis in terms of content that is making you smarter or more thoughtful or more caring or whatever you want to become? It's it's completely informed about your by your content diet. So it sounds like fairly passive in terms of trying to upsell people to the paid subscription other than kind of a concerted effort every quarter or so. And, and also in the free newsletter, I actually have the multimedia section, the audio and the video sections. And then I say, like, if you want to check these out, you can become a uh, premium member. Do you do you have any data? This is really hard to do this type of cohorting. So yeah. you might not. Any idea how long a typical paid member needs to be on the list before they become a paid member? I did this a while ago, a long time ago. And I think it was a mix of like quantitative data from Google Analytics and also like the survey data. And I think it was like three weeks at that time. Oh, wow. That seems really short. For for a lot of them. Yeah. That's awesome. I wanted to ask this earlier, um, mm -hmm. and this might be a little bit in the weeds because we interview people, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Okay. What I've noticed with this podcast, people who have more name recognition because their name is one of the largest parts of the title of the episode those inevitably get more plays and more shares because it's more, it's easier, I think, for people to think, oh, I'm going to click play or a lot time to that this week because I've heard of that person and I want to dig into it. Mm -hmm. I really love interviewing people who have less name recognition because I actually think we have more to learn from them. Mm -hmm. But it's this kind of catch 22 of people want to hear from people they've heard it from before or heard of before. How do you think about that and the people that you profile? Because the guy you just mentioned in the restaurant industry, uh, Danny. Danny Meyer. Yeah. Danny Meyer. I don't know him by name, so I might not click on that even if I would get something out of that. So how do you think about that when you deliver your profiles or your dossiers? So Danny Meyer, it's so interesting because he... Most people probably wouldn't recognize the name, but they would recognize like 11 Madison or like uh, Shake Shack. And he's behind those restaurants. The problem is that I struggle with this too, because 
For example, one of the most popular interviews is James Clear that I've done on the profile because people recognize his name and his name is his brand. Uh, It's also a really good interview, but that's besides the point. (laughs) Um, But I do think, Jay, that like we almost have a responsibility as creators to share those stories and make people care. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's such an easy thing to be like, ah, humans of New York, Brandon Stanton. But like somebody like Lindsay Adario, for example, she has such an incredible story as a war journalist. She's literally like changed lives through her work. And it's making the stories interesting and compelling and sharing them across like various channels that we have or various networks so that they get in front of more eyeballs. And I think that that's why I love doing the profile. It's the more like underrated untold stories that need to be told. I know. And and people who have been following you for a while, they'll trust you naturally to say, okay, I don't know why you're talking about this Lindsay person, but I'll go there. I'll meet you there. I'll trust you. But for people who are listening for the first time or they're new, it can be a big turnoff, which is what's so Mm -hmm. frustrating because you really do have to find a way to connect this to them quickly, it seems, to understand what they're going to get out of this and why they should care if they don't recognize this name. And I find myself making trade-offs or compromises with myself where it's kind of like a one-for-me-one-for-you situation. Like, Mm. okay, I'll interview. I use the example of Tim Urban a lot on the show Mm. because incredible guy, but a lot of his success and his model is not useful for creators today. Mm. (laughs) So it's like, you want to listen to it. You want me to interview him. I will interview him. We'll, We'll get something out of this for sure but it's not going to help you start a blog today. It's just, his story is just not accessible in that way. So, but I feel like I need to have some of those people on the show so that I can interview people that people may not have heard about. Like when I interviewed Dickie Bush the first time before Mm -hmm. he was the Dickie Bush that a lot of us know today, he was just starting Ship 30 for 30 and people didn't know who he was or what was going on. Now it's one of the more popular episodes of the show. Yeah. Anyway, how do you how do you think about even like subject lines as minute as it seems when you are sharing the story of of Danny or or Lori? How do you do that? Yeah. Well, I always think about like, again, like, yes, what would people care about or what will pique their interest? So, for example, I always have like a like a modifier or like a descriptor with uh, the name. So I'll have the profile dossier colon Vince Gilligan and then comma, the mastermind behind hit series Breaking Bad. If you haven't heard of Vince Gilligan, you've probably heard of Breaking Bad. And even though like I hadn't watched Breaking Bad, I found his story incredibly interesting and like how the show came to be and how he was able to take like these storytelling elements of like, he asked himself, could I make like the protagonist become the entire, like he, all sorts of techniques that you could use as a creative person. And it was really interesting to people and became really popular, even though you may not have thought to yourself, I'm going to seek out Vince Gilligan. So sitting here almost three years into the the paid newsletter, uh, five plus years into actually writing the profile uh, mm-hmm. in general, what's the most difficult part of running this type of media business for you today? Oh, probably that it's like all consuming and there's very little time for other things. 
So I also have another project that I'm working on that I haven't shared publicly yet, but I do that like at night <laughs> when it's, when I'm writing, I write the profile during the day and I work on this at night. And then I also have a seven month old baby that I am with during the day. So when she sleeps, she has three naps and they're typically 30 minutes each. In those 30 minutes, I like race. I'm like, okay, what can I get done? Baby Pomodoro <laughs> technique. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy. So <laughs> But, but my time is, I've become really, really efficient. And I think it's just like, it's, it's all like consuming. And I, if you had told me that I would get paid, uh, to read and write, (laughs) I would, I wouldn't have believed you mainly because like when I left my job at fortune, uh, in 2020 to do a newsletter full time, it wasn't, I didn't know anybody else who had done it yet. So like my only example was um, uh, Robert from the browser and there were very few podcasts with him asking him about that. So like, I was like, I don't know. Well, let's just, let's just see how it goes. But the fact that it's become such almost an industry uh, since 2020 is insane, but it, it really does like it's, it's so cool. When people ask me like, ooh, don't you think it's too crowd of, crowded of a space? It's like, I will never, I will never be mad at writers making money, like ever. <laughs> For so long, you've been told as like a reporter, a journalist, a, you know, writer, that it's like the, the starving artist type, type of thinking. And it's like, no, you can actually make money writing. So I'm very, very happy about that. This was a really inspiring conversation for me, not just in how I approach creators on the show, but how I might approach creator profiles in my newsletter. And by the way, if you don't already read that newsletter, go ahead and visit the link in the show notes and join 13,000 other creators who subscribe and read every week. If you want to learn more about Polina, you can visit her website at readtheprofile.com or find her on Twitter at Polina underscore Marinova. Links to both are in the show notes. Thanks to Polina for being on the show. Thank you to Connor Conaboy for editing this show. Thank you to Nathan Todd Hunter for mixing the show and Brian Skeel for creating our music. If you like this show, please let me know. Tag me at jklaus on Twitter or Instagram or leave a comment down below. And if you really want to say thank you, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you next week. Universe.